Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have a great guest today, David Trude, called The Weedy Garden on YouTube. T-H-E-W-E-E-D-Y, Garden, The Weedy Garden. Uh, the website is also theweedygarden.com. Uh, he's a prize-winning travel and commercial photographer uh, who pushes the boundaries of visual storytelling. Uh, he has a passionate narrative of people and nature, and uh, I think this can be experienced in his YouTube channel, again, which is The Weedy Garden. And he's got a great story about uh, how he responded to the initial uh, COVID lockdowns in March 2020. So welcome, David. Thank you. Thank you, Richard, for having me on. It's early in the morning, so you've got my morning voice, if that's okay. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Sounds kind of like an evening voice. So, uh, to, yeah, tell listeners about uh, your background and how you got into gardening and how you combine it with your photography and videography. Yeah, well, I was working as a photographer before before the first COVID lockdown, traveling around the world, trying to find images that can sort of connect people to nature. So a lot of my motives were people in nature. Everything had to do with nature somehow, traveling a lot. And um, yeah, when COVID came, I, when everyone was at home. I'd always had a sort of a vision in my mind that when I was an old man, I'd be looking really healthy and vibrant. And people would say, how do you look so healthy and vibrant, old man? And I'd say, well, because I'm eating my own food and I'm living up in my own garden. And it's a funny thing. It wasn't a dream I had every day, but it was just a thought in the back of my mind, you know. I think a lot of people kind of have that, have that dream to see themselves in their, own, in their own garden, eating their own food and being self-sufficient. A lot of people can't do it because they're not in the right... Um, we'll have to do an edit sometimes because sometimes I get lost with my words. I've been living in Denmark for 35 years, so... Oh, my, wow. English, okay. my English vocabulary is not kind of like full on. So we'll have to cut all this out. Yeah, why do you think most people don't have their own garden and live off yeah, their right. own produce? So, yeah, because a lot of people don't have that opportunity living in a city, maybe not even having a backyard, you know. But I was uh, lucky enough, I lived out in the country. At that point, I was just renting a house that was on some, on some land. But um, I thought, well, during lockdown, there was nothing to do. I couldn't leave the property. So I thought, I'll start that dream. I'll make my vegetable garden. And I had all this camera gear that I've been using my travels around the world, so I thought I'll put that to use as well. So I just started filming my process. And at that point, I didn't know anything about gardening. I thought you'd put a seed in the dirt and give it water and sunshine and it would grow. But I realized that that story is much more complicated. It's a very simple story, but it's it's a lot more complicated than that. So in the, in the process of starting my garden, I was asking the local people what they did and and so on, but but I basically used lockdown to establish my garden, started my YouTube channel, and um, I think after about three months, I got enough footage together and compiled the little story, and I put my first video on YouTube. And um, I think it was the timing, and I think it was the um, I think it was the subject matter, and the fact that I think a lot of people had the same thought at the same time. You remember when we saw those videos online about people like freaking out about toilet paper in the supermarkets? Right. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah. When I saw that, I thought, hmm, I wonder what it would be like if people were freaking out about food. I think that's going to be a lot more serious. 
And so at that point, I, I just was inspired to think, I'm not going to be part of that. If that happens, I'm not going to be part of that. So I'm going to grow my own food. And that's where it really started. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you got a much more of a response than you thought you would. You were surprised. Well, yeah. When, when the first video came out, it pretty much went viral. It got a ton of views, a ton of new subscribers. And that kind of encouraged me to keep the channel going. And since then, it's just been growing. And I'm learning. Well, what, 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 is it? What, what was your first video about? And then what did you do after the first video? What did you, what was the first video about? Well, the first video was basically introducing myself as the photographer that was stuck at home on top of the hill and didn't know anything about gardening except that the cow poo was really good for the garden because uh, it had earthworms in it. <laughs> and the plants got their energy from the sun. That was kind of what my mother taught me when I was little, you know, photosynthesis. So, so I kind of explained that I was starting off. I put my electric fence around the patch where I wanted to grow my food to keep the cows out. And, you know, the first thing I did was, you know, I had a lot of caterpillars on my broccoli, right? So I'd ask the locals what they did, and I Googled it as well. Time after time, you'd see garlic and chili spray, garlic and chili spray. So I tried it, but it didn't didn't help. So I, I put up a time-lapse camera on a broccoli leaf, and I, I, I sprayed one of them with my chili and garlic spray, and put another one besides that that I didn't spray. Then I put a handful of caterpillars in the, in the box and put my time-lapse camera on it, and the grubs just did it. <laughs> the grubs just devoured both of the leaves, so, so that didn't work. So, you know, so I, I, I was starting to do this this YouTube channel because, you know, you, you see YouTube channels and you, you often go into YouTube to find out how, how to something. So I thought, okay, I'll, <laughs> it was quite funny, but I, I thought I'll make a video about how to keep the caterpillars away. So I did it, but it didn't work. So then I kind of basically announced to everybody that, okay, this channel's not about how-to because I don't really know how-to, but I want to just share my experience of and my enthusiasm and just observe how plants react to human care and nurturing and see what happens. And um, that, was, that was the beginning of my first video. I ended it by showing people how to make soil bacteria because at that beginning of the journey, a friend of mine explained to me, he said, did you know that all plants get their food from bacteria farts. And I said, what? He said, yeah, all plants get their food from bacteria farts. And he, he explained that to me in a way that, you know, he explained that to, by the way, bacteria don't actually fart. They sort of secrete and so on. But it, it got me thinking that without the bacteria in the soil, basically, he was saying that there is no life. So he showed me how to breed these bacteria, the lactobacillus bacteria. Are these uh, nitrogen-fixing bacteria, or what's their specific role? These bacteria, the lactobacillus bacteria, are part of the decomposition process. So breeding these bacteria and incorporating them into your compost or to your watering, you're feeding the plants. The bacteria are involved in breaking down. So everything everything that's alive and growing, it's, it's in the process of composing. If you think about life as, um, we start off with the periodic table. Okay, all the elements of earth, wind, water, and fire. If you take all those elements and, and imagine that each one of them is like a Lego block, let's just say that the calcium element is like a little square yellow Lego block and a potassium element is a long purple one, whatever. Right? So if you think about a little boy who's going to build a spaceship out of Lego blocks, he's going to use all those different shapes and sizes and colors to make his spaceship. That's what I call the, the composition part of life. So as a plant is growing, it's reaching out through its roots to find all these elements in the soil. And just as we do when we eat food, all the elements we need get transported through our stomach wall. So you've got all these building blocks of life, and, they, and they're getting composed as something is growing. But when something dies, they have to get decomposed. And it's just like that little boy that, 
he's finished with his spaceship, so he pulls all the bricks, pulls, so he pulls all the Lego blocks apart to build something new from it, right? So if you think of something that's dead, like a an animal or a plant or a leaf or a bit of bark or anything that's been disconnected from its life source, it has to decompose. And the only thing that can break that down into its original Lego blocks again is the bacteria or the fungi. So when you've got a rich bacterial or fungi environment underneath the soil. Yeah, no, well, let me ask you a quick question that'll help orient things. Um, how did you find out what bacteria to add? And then how did you cultivate them and how did you add them? You know, it, it sounds like there's a lot of steps in between. I understand it's that really they're there to help decompose stuff in the soil to make it available to the plant. But again, the mechanics yes. of it, like, how did you learn about this? How did you do this? Well, I learned about it in a really simple way. And that's what I'm trying to kind of express through my YouTube channel, because this story I didn't know until I was 54 years old. And if, and if I'd known this story younger in my life, it, it, I would have looked at life a lot differently. But it was my friend that basically told me, and he explained it in a simple way. If you think about every organism, it's built up of cells, millions and billions and trillions of cells. If you think of each cell to be like, an, like a, a peanut M&M, you know what a peanut M&M is? I've eaten many of them, yes. Yeah, so we, know, we all know what a peanut M&M is. So if you think about the peanut as being the plant food, right, and then you've got that candy shell around the peanut, so the plant can't get into the peanut because there's that shell around it. But the, And the bacteria is the only organism on Earth and also the, the um, mycelium, they're the only organisms on Earth that can break that peanut M&M open to make that peanut available for the plant or the animal. So that's why they're so important. And to make them, it's, it's very simple, actually. And I show that on my YouTube channel on the first video. I also show it on the sixth video as well. And I'm actually starting a workshop that I'm going to be releasing soon online about how to make them. It's very simple. I mean, if, I, I can explain here in this podcast. It only takes five minutes. Should I do that? Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now, back to the show. Well, yeah, let's go step by step. So you learn okay. that you need to cultivate bacteria. So how did you do that specifically? And then we'll talk okay. about the application of it. And then we'll talk okay. about what you noticed. So maybe that'll, that'll be easier to break it down in stages. All right. Well, this is a really interesting. So to make these lactobacillus bacteria, it's very simple. You start off with about a half a kilogram of rice, pound of rice, white rice. I use jasmine rice. And if, you, if you're questioning which rice should I use, I would just stick with just white rice, white starchy rice, okay? And then you get a liter of water, and you put those two in a, in a bowl, and you shake it so you're kind of washing all the, the rice. So then you pour that rice water off. You can eat the rice for dinner, but you want to keep that water. It's just like when you're washing your rice before you eat it. Some people wash their rice before they cook it, but you just want to keep that rice. Put that in a bottle or in a jar in the cupboard in the dark, where it's not too cold, it's not too hot, like you know, 20 degrees is okay. 
sort of house temperature. Just let it sit there for a week. And after a week, you get a glass or a jar and you get your rice water, which is probably about, you've probably got about 800 mils of it because it's, you started off with a litre in it, the rice has soaked up some. So you've got about 800 millilitres of this rice water that's been sitting in the cupboard for a week. Then you mix that with a litre of milk and it's to be real cow's milk. Doesn't matter if it's pasteurised, doesn't matter if it's organic, doesn't matter. Because as long as it's got lactose in it, that's the most important. So we don't use coconut milk, we don't use oat milk or any sort of plant-based milk. And what happens then is in that rice water, in that initial rice water, you've got your lactobacillus bacteria, but you've also got lots of other bacteria, which we don't want. And by putting the milk in, the lactobacillus bacteria eat the milk and they secrete lactic acid, and that kills all the other bacteria. So when you put your milk and your rice water in the jar, you put it in the cupboard again for another week, and that'll separate curd and whey. It's a really good idea to have a little little cloth on top so insects and, and stuff doesn't get down into your mixture. But you'll see it separate. you see the curd float to the top, and the whey will be on the bottom. And that is your lactobacillus bacteria. All the other bacteria have been taken out or dead because they've been killed by the lactic acid. And that is your lactobacillus there. But then we want to okay. breed them. In that bottle, you might have a few thousand million of them, but we want to have trillions and gazillions of them. So what you do is you get that whey, which probably be about a litre, and then you get some unsulfured molasses or blackstrap molasses. It's really important that it's, it's unsulfured because a lot of the food-grade molasses you buy has been sulfured, which is done so it has a longer shelf life. So it's, it's, they've killed the bacteria in the molasses so it doesn't go rotten. If you use that sulfured molasses, it's not good because you're going to kill your bacteria. Right? So it's very important that you use unsulfured molasses or blackstrap molasses. And you put the same amount of molasses as you have the curd, uh, sorry, the whey. So if you've got half a litre of whey, put half a litre of molasses in a five-gallon bucket and fill the rest up with water. So what you've got there, you've got your colony of bacteria, which is the whey. You've got food for them which is the molasses, and you've got room, you've got space for them to multiply, which is the water. They'll multiply every 20 minutes. So if you've got a million bacteria, you'll have 2 million bacteria after 20 minutes, then you'll have 4 million, then you'll have 16 million, and 32 million, and 64. So you can see how quickly it will go after a few days. So basically, it's a seven, if you think of the seven, so your, your, rices, your rice water sits in the cupboard for seven days, you mix it with milk and let it sit for seven days, then you mix it with molasses and you put the, all that water in with it in your, in your big tub and then it'll let, let it sit for seven days and then that'll kind of populate that whole five-gallon bucket. And so then no, you've got so your lactose. you get a, a liquid sludge or slurry with trillions of bacteria. It's not a sludge or a slurry. It's actually just a nice liquid. It looks like a tea, okay? okay. So what you've got there is you've got a whole colony of bacteria, but they've got nothing in their stomach, if you can if you understand what I mean, because they haven't been eating any organic matter, okay? They've just been eating the molasses. So those ones, I use those ones to put in my compost. So when you're making your compost and you're mixing your greens and your browns and manure and your dead frogs or whatever you're putting in your compost, when you pour some of this on, you're actually, you're actually delivering you know, a colony, trillions and trillions of numbers into your compost. So that's going to sort of speed up your compost because these lactobacillus bacteria... They're the ones that are chewing up your organic matter, breaking up those peanut M&Ms. You know what I mean? Is, um, is this what's called compost tea, or is that something different? That's something different. Compost tea 
is when you make your compost and you get a handful or two and you put it in a sock, then you put that sock in a five-gallon bucket and then you put some air bubbles in it. And that's compost tea. And oh, and last air- question on that. What, what's the point of making compost tea? We'll get right back to this right after that, but I just... Just for clarification for myself and listeners, like what's That's the reason to make compost tea, even though it's different? It's a really good question, actually. Compost tea is done using air bubbles, and that makes it an aerobic environment because in the down in the roots, down around the roots, it's called the rhizosphere, where all these bacteria live, it's aerobic, okay? It's an aerobic environment. You've got two environments, aerobic and anaerobic Aerobic means there's oxygen available. Anaerobic means there's no oxygen available. The compost tea is an aerobic bacteria, but the lactobacillus bacteria brew I just explained, that's an anaerobic brew, okay? It's an anaerobic bacteria. But the thing is that the lactobacillus bacteria, they can live in an aerobic environment and an anaerobic environment. So when you make your lactobacillus bacteria, you have to dilute it quite a lot. So I just use 100 milliliters in a nine liter watering can. So you have to translate that to, to American. So what do we got there? Nine liters. How much is that? Uh, 3.78 liters is a gallon. So you said nine liters. So it's approximately three gallons, two and a half gallons, two and a half. Yeah. Okay. And hundred milliliters, hundred milliliters. Well, it's a 10th of a liter. So it'll be like 0.37 gallons. So, yeah. so you mix it like one to a hundred basically about. Okay. Yeah, about one to a hundred. Does that make sense? One to yeah. Yeah, I think it's one to ten. But yeah, okay. No, a hundred mils in ten liters. Oh, ten liters. Okay, you're right. One to a hundred. Yeah. So that's so yeah. yeah. So when you've got your final lactobacillus, okay, I'm going to have to go back on that. You'll have to edit all this out what I've just said because well, you you'll try and make sense of it. So if you you got your lactobacillus bacteria, they're anaerobic. You've got your compost tea. But your compost tea is come out of the compost. So all the bacteria in your compost tea that been eating stuff, right? So they've already got these nutrients inside them. But your lactobacillus brew, they're empty. They don't have any food in them yet. So I use them to put in my compost. And then they just go crazy and start eating all my food. So that comes down in the soil. Or I make my fertilizer with them. And what I do that, what I and how I do that is that um, I get it like a, a gallon bucket and you can use you can use anything. I use bananas because they've got potassium. That's one of the fertilizers I make, my potassium fertilizer. I've got another one I use seaweed in and another one I use comfrey. And they're the three things. You can also use chicken poo. You can pretty much use anything, but I use those three because they've got a lot of good. Oh, so you're um, you're specifically going for NPK. You're putting stuff in there that will create nitrogen and fixate it. You're, creating, you're, you're putting in bananas so you get potassium. Yeah. Putting in comfrey and other stuff, I guess, for uh, sorry, not potassium, phosphorus. Yeah, trace minerals. Um, yeah. So you're making sure at least the macros are in there based on what you're putting into the mixture. Yeah. And so what the mixture is, is if we just go back, we've breeded our lactobacillus bacteria, but they're all hungry. They've got no food in their stomach. So what we do is we put, we get a gallon bucket and we put a cupful of our lactobacillus bacteria in the bucket and we get a cupful of molasses. And put that in our bucket. Then we get a couple of big handfuls of whatever we want to put in bananas, comfrey, seaweed, and we put that in the bucket. We make sure we chop it up. You can even put it through the blender. The more surface area, the better. And then you fill the rest up with water. And then just let it sit for seven days. And the bacteria will multiply because they've got sugar and they've got water and they've got space. So they'll multiply. And at the same time, they'll eat that organic matter and put it inside them. So when you water with that, you take 100 mils of that. And you put it in a 10-liter watering can. So because it's anaerobic, 
you don't want to put too much on because if you put too much of the bacteria on you, you're gonna if you put too much on, you're gonna turn that aerobic environment around the roots into an anaerobic environment because you put too much on. But if you just put a little bit on, those anaerobic bacteria, they will adjust and they can live in the aerobic environment. Does that make sense? Well, I know earthworms kind of do similar stuff. You know, they'll they'll aerate the soil. So you want a mostly anaerobic environment, but you also want spots where you have enough oxygen where aerobic bacteria can still live, right? Well, we want mostly an aerobic environment. We don't really want any anaerobic environment under the ground at all. You don't want dead spots where the rotting bacteria will proliferate. You want it as aerated as possible. Exactly. The more aerated, the better it is for the plants. Okay. Makes sense. So, all right. So you, you create this concoction with the lactobacillus. They're in a hungry state. There's quadrillions of them. Now, how do you apply it? Do you dig down and put the plant into a, a hole that is covered in this, this compost, or you just spray it on top of the ground, or how do you apply it effectively? Yeah, well, both with, with the fertilizer that you've made, you just water it on, uh, 100 to 1, just water it on. Um, with compost, just like any other compost, you just, um, just, cover the, just give it a good sprinkle uh, on the top of the ground, around the top of the plant. Um, it's, it's really important not to, like, you what your plant won't grow in that compost. It's too it's too rich. It's too strong. So you kind of use all that compost in a pot and then plant a tomato, and it, it probably won't do any good. You're going to mix it with other soil. So it's it's a really good additive, but it, it's too strong to just just make a whole garden bed out of. Does that make sense? So I just put it around the top. I just like every time I every time I harvest, um, I just put a bit on top of the soil again. You know, if I'm planting a plant by itself somewhere, I just stick it down and then just put a bit around the top of the soil. You can mix it so in with the, mix- or, or if you're making a pot, you can just take, you know, maybe two thirds dirt or two thirds cocoa peat and one third of your, of your compost that you've made and mix that in. So you um, just have to apply it once before you start growing a plant or do you have to reapply it as the plant goes through, goes through its life cycle? Well, you see, when, when you get technical like that, it starts, it starts to be complicated because, it, because I think the most important thing is to start to think like a forest. Once you start to think like a forest, you'll understand how the whole thing works. You'll never have to ask anybody again how much you have to put on because you, you will know yourself, right? So a forest, it's feeding itself. So all the birds that are landing in the trees in the forest, they're pooping down on the floor and they, they're even dying and their feathers are falling off. You know, and insects are there. There's spiders' legs on the bottom of the forest floor. There's all sorts of animals and animal excrements and insects and leaves. And all that is falling onto the forest floor and being eaten by the the fungi and the bacteria and turning it into food again. So when you think of your garden, you dig your soil. I never dig my soil. I'm going for the no-dig system. So once I've established my garden bed, I never dig it. But if you think about you growing something in your garden bed, and it's going to produce something you can eat. So you're going to take that away. But everything else that you don't eat, I put that back on on my garden again. You know what I mean? Or, or yeah. I put it in. The, or I put it in the compost. And then when I put my compost back on, I'm just putting a thin. So you know, a thin layer, like a centimeter of compost, on top of the soil every year. That's enough because there's a lot of organic material in there. So okay. it's. Uh, you, you know, I've experimented myself and said, oh, my plant is going to love this. I'll put a huge big pile around it and it suffocates and it kills it. <laughs> you know, because it's just like a forest. If, if there's like 1,000 million bats in one tree and they're all pooping underneath the tree, it'll probably kill the tree because it'll be too much. Right, that makes sense. So you give so it a good start in life and then you add a little bit as you go and, you know, yeah. once a year and that's enough. Well, yeah. 
it's 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 really I've only been doing gardening for three years and um, I knew nothing before that. So a lot of people think I'm an expert now because it looks my garden looks amazing. But there's lots of things I don't know, and there's and people ask me, oh, well, should you do it like this, or should you do it like this, or if I've got a tree here and I've got this climate, what should I do? I don't know. <laughs> I'm a photographer with a garden. I'm not a gardener with a camera. And that's the Weedy Garden Channel. I think that's why the Weedy Garden Channel is popular because a lot of people can relate to me. I'm not. I'm not preaching all kinds of different scientific things and using all the big words of all the different things. I'm just trying to kind of explain it so as if I would understand it. And when the the fellow in the beginning told me, you know, that plants get their food from bacteria farts, it kind of it's not really true, but it kind of painted a picture for me, which is true, you know. Without the bacteria's excrements or without the bacteria, there is no life. So, so it's right. all when I get when I go into my garden, I don't I don't look at the plants and say, "Hey, plants, how are you going?" I feel my my garden is more like my like a zoo. It's it's the animals and the critters underneath the ground that I'm looking after. And if I look after them properly, then it doesn't matter what I put in the ground; it'll do well. So that's that's been your experience then. Yeah, that so, uh, you you planted all kinds of stuff and it's it's worked because you've taken care of the soil the soil is the most important thing it's all about the soil it's all about soil if you have good soil then you can grow anything as long as it's in that climate you know you can't grow bananas in denmark because it's too cold and so on so but if you've got good soil you and and good drainage and good water and the plants in a good spot so it's getting sunshine it's the soil that's the most important soil is like the stomach for the vegetables your soil is your stomach when you make your compost every day, you're putting you're putting organic matter in your mouth and it's going down into your stomach and the bacteria is breaking it down and, and the nutrients are going through your stomach wall. It's the same thing when you make your compost or something dies on the ground, the bacteria eat it, break it down, and the nutrients get taken into the plant through its roots. So the roots is kind of like the stomach wall for, for a plant. That's kind of the way I see it. So I'm feeding, I'm feeding the bacteria in my soil. The more life there is in that, underground community there it's like the soil is like a supermarket if, if it's a good soil it's got everything and the plants there is like the customer in the supermarket it just goes to the shelf that it needs when it needs it you know so instead of adding these things and adding these things you've got a good soil it's got everything in it you don't have to add anything just like the forest you know as long as you put some cane toads in the compost and a bit of dead animal i'm not saying you should put meat in your compost meat is just meat but a dead animal like a cane toad has got eyeballs, it's got bones, it's got skin, it's got all these different elements from the periodic table that, that the plants are going to want. So that's why, you know, when you, you can buy blood and bone from the shop, you can buy potassium from the shop, you can buy calcium from the shop, but if you just chuck some, some eggs and a banana and a dead frog together, you've got the same things. And mm. that's the natural, that's the organic way to do it. Being organic is huge, huge difference in the quality and the nutrients of the food and what it's going to do for you compared to, you know, just plowing up your field, digging up your garden bed and just watering it with fertilizers that you buy. This is, this, 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 you're not growing food, really, when you're doing that. It looks like food, but it's not real food. And, and you'll end up getting sick and die probably because organic, that's the thing. When you used to say, in the old days, you used to say normal food. They were, they were, they were addressing organic food because that's the only way you grew ordinary food from the compost you know in the old days but these days when you say normal food you're talking about normal food which usually comes from the supermarket and, and big farming where they're feeding the plants you know chemical fertilizers they've got nothing to do with bacteria did you know that a, a broccoli that's grown 
that's not grown organically, it doesn't have any vitamin B at all. So, so to get vitamin vitamin B in in a broccoli, it needs you need to, it needs to be fed by the bacteria. Otherwise, it can't make vitamin B. It's, it's uh, okay. so. Once you so you were um yeah good. No, I'm just saying I'm just sort of repeating myself. Once you can make your good organic soil and grow your food in it, it's going to benefit you. It's going to benefit you and the planet, of course. Okay, so uh, you've been doing this. How long did you do the garden for? And what, what were some of the other milestones that you noticed? So you, you figured out the soil health part, and from there, I mean, did all your problems go away, or like what what happened after you figured that out? Well, if a plant is healthy and it's got all it needs, it, it has less less chance to get sick or attacked by something. I see the the plants kind of like if you look at the plants like the animals on the savanna in Africa, you got a bunch of zebras or something like that all grazing, and then the lions come and the lions mm-hmm. check out the whole they they check out the whole herd and they look for the weakest one and then they'll go for the weakest one because if they go for the biggest the strongest the fattest one they're going to get tired and they're going to use too much energy so that's how nature works nature's going to go for the weakest one if you've got a healthy plant in healthy soil it, it's going to it's going to produce its own what do you call that the plant produces pheromones and chemicals that sort of keep the bugs away from it well defenses the plant's going to defend itself most plants have got their own defense system, and if it's strong and healthy, it um, it won't get attacked. So having a healthy soil saves a lot of your problems with pests. And also, I don't plant rows and rows and rows of things. I, I My garden looks like I've got a bunch of different seeds in my head, and I shook them up and I just chuck them out. So I've got a pineapple here, and besides that, I've got a broccoli, and then you know I've got some lettuce growing around the side of that, and a couple of flowers. I've got bees in my garden, so I've got lots of flowers in my garden. So if if the if the bugs do come along and find a plant and start to attack it, they're going to move to the next plant. But that's going to be a garlic, so they're not going to want to go any further. You know what nice. I mean? And and the and the other broccoli that's on the other end of the garden, they didn't they didn't even know it's there yet because it's it's surrounded by herbs and stuff. They can't smell it. So you so, you're taking a different path instead of just going for maximizing the yield. You planted different things in your garden because it seems like it. Uh, well, it, it works a lot better for you. You have less disease less problems and all that by having a diverse garden. Well, when you say maximize your yield, thing is I can go up into my garden any day of the any day of the year at any time of the day and always find always fill my belly because I've got stuff growing I've got different stuff growing all the time. So, you know what I mean? So I don't have my garden bed full of full of cucumbers for example. So when I harvest all my cucumbers, I've got nothing in my bed. You know, if I'm going right. to harvest my cucumbers, there'll be a little patch of my bed that's bare for a little while until I plant something else in it. I mean, my yield might be the same, but I don't plant them all together in one spot. You know, I might say, okay, I'm going to put 20 broccoli in, but I'm going to scatter them all around my garden. I'm not going to put them all in one row. So I've got plenty of food. So the yields are high. And I also like to give my plants the full potential. Every seed and every human being, for that sake, has ground in its own DNA memory, it's a full potential. So that, that's why trees and plants make so many hundreds of thousands of seeds because the chances of them landing in a spot where it can give it its full potential is very small. So what I mean by that is that if, if I've got a broccoli plant, I know that when I put it on the, in the garden bed, it's, it's like a little tiny thing and there's like all this space around it and you kind of want to fill the garden bed up. But that broccoli is going to be maybe a meter wide when it's fully grown. Right. So, so I give that I give that single plant a lot of space, a lot of water, a lot of food, so it can reach its full potential. And what I get out of it is a huge, big, beautiful broccoli, you know. So instead of having a class full of a hundred students and giving them all a little bit of my time, I've got a nice little small class of three students, you know, and they all get my 
full attention, they all become superstars. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a different method, but I understand. It makes sense. So what 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 is this uh what's happened with your project? You mentioned offline that you were able to what completely feed yourself for a time or what what happened? The garden started um with lockdown and and it started because I'm not quite sure if I mentioned this offline or online, but with the toilet paper issue, was that online or offline? I don't know. It's, you know, related again. Yeah. You know, when um, lockdown started and we saw those stories of people reacting to toilet paper in the shops, that's when I decided to do the garden. And um, two years after, I was curious to see if it actually could support me. You know, if, if if something did happen, I did have to look after myself. Could I? So I did an experiment. I just stayed up in the garden. I pitched my tent up there and, and um, I, I brought up some olive oil, some coconut oil, some salt and some pepper. And that's all I had. I think I had a bottle of soy sauce as well, actually. But other than that, I ate everything from my garden, and I did that until I'd ate, eaten my own weight, which was 92 kilos, I think, at that time. It took me about, no, I think it took me about two months altogether. That was um, that was a really good lesson. I did find out that I'm very, very happy for the shops. <laughs> okay. Well, what, what else was your experience? You you literally only ate from your garden for a period of time, and, and how long was this? Well, I, I um, it took me about two months to eat 95 kilos. I think it was 95 kilos I weighed. Um, when I started, um, I'm a pretty tall guy, so that's why I weigh so much. <laughs> I did. Um, I mean, it's it's a long story. It's a nice story, and I actually made a video, two videos about it, and it's part of my movie as well. My movie is called Down the Carrot Hole, which you can get on Vimeo or on my website. So I don't want to give too much away, but um, sure. but I did I did manage to eat my own weight in food, and it, I stayed healthy. I stayed healthy and well and well nourished. But there was, a, there was, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what more to, to say about that. No, that's excellent. Yeah. Is there anything else you noticed when you did it? Did you feel healthier than you were or well, did you feel anything pretty, good or bad or ugly or what? I didn't feel any, any different because I'd been doing it pretty much beforehand anyway. But this time I said, okay, I'm not going to have any chips. I'm not going to have any chocolate. I'm not going to have any coffee. I'm not going to have anything else that I can't find in my garden. Although I was eating very healthy before and, and a lot from the garden, I just sort of cut out all those other things. I felt while I was doing the experiment about three quarters of the way through, we had massive rains here in Australia and we had massive floods. And in the and consequence of that, the roads were cut off. So in all directions, I couldn't we couldn't leave the property and get to town for about two weeks. And um, there was actually helicopters flying in with food to the neighbours and the people in, in the area. But... I managed to eat and also share some of the food with the neighbours, so we didn't need to have any sort of helicopters bringing our food in. And that and that was it was quite quite bizarre that it happened in the middle of my experiment, really. Yeah. Well, where where are you at nowadays? Are you continuing with the garden, or are you looking for other projects, or like you know what's where are you at now? Well, I've been enjoying this YouTube channel creation, and I've really been enjoying this this journey with the YouTube channel and, and making a movie. So I'm going to continue my YouTube channel, and that's what I'm doing every day. I'm making videos, and I'm working on a course at the moment. But yeah, that, that's what I'm doing. My photography has turned into, out of all the 40 countries I've traveled to in my life, I think the Weedy Garden is my best photo studio, and I think I'm going to stay there for a while. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. That's mm. fantastic. Okay. Well, very good. So I guess... You know, any listener that wants to find out more, they should look at the. Tell me the name of the movie again. It's Down the Carrot Hole. Yeah, exactly. Down the Carrot Hole. It's called. If you just do a Google search, you'll be able to find it where you are. Um, you can get it on YouTube. You can get it on iTunes. You can get it on Vimeo. You can uh, you can get my video from my web. You can get the movie from my website, theweedygarden.com. You'll see it there. 
and wait. Okay, very good. So YouTube, the Weedy Gardener, and then the Weedy uh, Google Weedy Garden. Down, oh, the Weedy Garden. Yeah, if you want to watch the if you want to watch the movie, uh, just do a Google search down the carrot hole, or go onto my website, theweedygarden.com, and um, you can find the movie there. Otherwise, the YouTube channel is called the Weedy Garden. Okay, well, very good. Well, they, yeah, David, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and explaining it. I really appreciate it. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.